Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Buey, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering, what a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Good morning. It is Elise Bowie with the Maximum Mom Podcast. And I am here today and I am going to welcome Amy Gardner. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. Oh yeah, I'm super excited. Tell us a little bit about you and your journey. I know you, you're kind of like a recovering lawyer. Yes, yes. <laughs> Tell us right. about your journey. Sure. Um, so my name is Amy Gardner and um, my husband and I co-own Apple Chromatic. As Elise said, I'm a recovering attorney. I'm also a former law school dean of students from the University of Chicago. And today I work with both teams and individual attorneys as a certified career development and career transitions coach and team development and leadership consultant. So what that means is that I work with teams of attorneys to get aligned and become more engaged, effective, and efficient. And then the second piece of my work Work is that I coach attorneys one-on-one -on -one and in our small group, Attorney Mastermind Future and Focus to help them advance in their jobs or transition to another one. Okay. You have to tell me, how did you leave the University of Chicago Dean of Students and end up where you are? I mean, that sounds like a pretty sweet gig. Yeah. So it does sound like a pretty sweet gig, doesn't it? <laughs> um, so I had been a partner at a mid-sized law firm. So I graduated from the University of Chicago Law School, okay. which is part of how I ended up back there. And I graduated from the law school, spent six years at Skadden Chicago as a litigation associate, left Skadden to go to a mid-sized firm that's now been gobbled up. It's now part of Nixon Peabody, but the firm was called Ungradian Harris. So any Chicagoans who might see this, who might remember Ungradian Harris. And I made partner there, uh, did all the things you're supposed to do, had, had done some, had some trial experience, taken lots of depths, all that good stuff but had an offer to go back to my law school and become the Dean of Students. So I decided to do that and ultimately found myself most enjoying working on professionalism and leadership development of law students. And I got to do that with the business school at the University of Chicago, with the Booth School. I got to do that partnering with various law firms and other legal employers. And one of the things that I noticed was how much more I enjoyed that work than some of the other aspects of being a dean of students at a top law school. And um, I really wanted to get my coaching certification. I had done some coaching trainings or co uh, coaching trainings and then used coaching with some law students. But I felt like that was a more effective thing for some of the, the ways I was helping students rather than counseling them. Right. And, um, but I also knew that doing the Dean of Students job the way I was doing it was not going to be a good recipe for also trying to take on getting the coaching certification and decided I wanted to move to working with lawyers rather than preparing law students. So I left, I took a job with um, the American Constitution Society, which is a national legal organization of lawyers, judges, and law students. So I could expand my network. I um, got my coaching certification, finished my master's degree, and we built Apochromatic all at the same time. And then uh, left that to go full-time on Apochromatic three years ago. And um, my husband left his job to go full-time a couple months before I did. So wow. it's, uh, it, we've been busy. So, Just yeah. a tad busy. <laughs> yeah. I, I look back and think, that. how did we do that? I, I don't even know how, how we did I don't that. know either. I mean, that's a lot. 
Well, I'm curious. I mean, I'm just probably personally curious. Tell me a little bit about coaching certification. What does that look like for somebody, you know, who's an attorney? I mean, what does, where do you get that? What does it Mm -hmm. look like? Yeah. So it depends. I mean, there are some, um, and it's all whatever works for you. Right. Um, but there are some people who go to a weekend long class. They bought a coupon for on living social and decide that they're a coach. Um, there are other attorneys who decide, you know, I've coached clients in terms of working with paying clients on their legal work. So that's close enough. I have the experience. What I did was I went to IPEC, which my husband, and I did a ton of research and decided came down to three schools that we were, we felt were the best preparation. And I think our program ended up being close to 500 hours over the course of a year um, in terms of mentoring, coaching, um, in-person trainings, uh, webinars, all kinds of stuff. So you really, I actually think we often give um, talks on using coaching skills with your clients because they can be so helpful. So I really think that those skills, um, if we prepared lawyers, if we help lawyers learn some of those coaching skills, then some of the work they do with their clients would be, would be easier as well, but it's, uh, it can be with our teams as well. I mean, I think coaching skills, I find as a law firm owner, I mean, there's so many times that I feel like I've needed, you know, to really get some coaching skills to mm-hmm. be able to properly kind of lead and manage my team. Yeah. And, you know, in, uh, in 20, 20, we had planned, like this was all prearranged. And um, we started an additional certification program in team and leadership coaching back, I think in January of 2020. And um, it was a six month program that got extended to about eight because of you know right. everything. And so now that's the basis for a lot of what we do um, with teams. And, and when we come in and work with teams, sometimes it's on conflict, sometimes it's on building trust, sometimes it's on communication, but always we're trying to work in often um, sharing some of those coaching skills because they can be so helpful when you're managing a team or if you're trying to manage up, right? right? And what we found is the more that you can get everybody involved in trying to improve the environment, even if everything's good, Right. right. You don't have to have somebody throwing binders to um, be able to have your team benefit, um, but that those coaching skills can make a huge difference. Will and I have found too, when in working with associates who are then working with their paralegals, trying to help them, there's a difference between me kind of coaching, managing, leading that attorney, but then also trying to help them learn how to coach, manage, lead their paralegals and the other people on their team. I feel like it's a real trickle down effect of what needs to happen. So I'm super curious. I mean, tell us a little bit more about how would you come in and work with a firm or a leader? Like, let's say I just called you up and I was like, yo, Amy, I've got the binder throwers and I've got people who I think, you know, we're just not communicating. Like we're going like this, you know, what, what would it look like to work with you? So it always depends. We try to customize everything and we've worked with fortune 200 companies, legal departments to um, a a law firm, a six lawyer law firm in Chicago as well. So we always want to find out kind of what the specific issues are. And we also go into every session with a, a group knowing that whatever we have planned out may not at all be what happens. Right. Right. We have to be able to respond. And there are times where um, we will do what we call a a put put the skunk on the table session, which um, is a term that came from a team that we worked with uh, about a year ago. And the idea is everybody puts out the problems and then we, we work on those. And those sessions in particular can take you different directions. But we often start with an assessment to see 
what individual members on the team are noticing, because sometimes, you know, the view can be very different if you're the paralegal versus the, the law firm owner, right? Oh. And so that just doing that assessment helps everybody feel like their voice has been heard and they've had an outlet. And then we use that information to design the engagement. So it might be that we set up a, a session on trust um, and we're going to have a session on conflict. And it might be that during that session on conflict, we realize that we need more sessions on conflict. And so then that that can change it. We often include emotional intelligence as part of the engagement. Um, we like to use the EQI 2.0 assessment. And the reason we like using that assessment is because it helps everybody see not just where their emotional intelligence is, but also how it can relate to everybody else. Oh. So like we've found if you have a team, say everybody's stress tolerance is super high, except for like two people, <laughs> then that can be the cause of tension, right? Or oh, if some people are super high on self-expression and other people are not, then the people who are not high in self-expression are going to be viewed as robotic or people might not be as attuned to their concerns because they're not expressing them in the same way. Right. We sometimes will do individual debriefs with team members of their emotional intelligence assessment. So they get really helpful information and coaching. Mm -hmm. And it's also a temperature check on how are things going? Right. What are you seeing as issues? So it's not just, you know, we did, we took a survey. So your opinion is done, um, <laughs> but checking in with people and, you know, our goal is always to, to leave the team better than we found it, but also having the tools to keep up what they've developed. Right. We had, a, we worked with a firm called Hirschman Cohen in Chicago. And I share that because Leslie Cohen, who's the a managing partner, she actually wrote an article about the experience of working with us. Oh, and wow. that was after one session. So you don't have to sign on for, right. you know, 40 hour engagement, right? Like who has 40 hours, right? but yeah. you really can do a lot. And I think it's so important now we're seeing that burnout levels are up, employee engagement levels are down. The average American worker is working three more hours per day than they were pre-pandemic. Oh no. I mean, yeah. You're, so your teams are tired. Productivity hasn't necessarily gone up. They're just working more. Right. And people are more burned out and you don't want people to leave, right? Like it costs you money. It costs Absolutely. you so much time. So it can really be a good investment to get your team back working together, whether you do that with an outside person or you, you do some exercises and activities on your own. Right. Well, I was reading an article recently and it really resonated, it said something like you can't yoga your way out of burnout. And was mm. like, That's was such like, a good line. So true. And I think that, I mean, I know from my perspective, I mean, you know, you feel like you, as the owner, you kind of stand on your head sometimes trying to keep the engagement up, trying to address those needs where you see people might be burning out or you feel that they're burning out or, you know, and they need more space or they need some mental health help or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it is, or the caseload that's maybe less conflict-based, you know, like in trying to navigate all those things. I know for me, very, I mean, it's a huge part of what I do all day long is doing those, you know, check-ins and trying to feel how people are doing and, and just riding all those emotions. And I know for me, it's really, I mean, I consider myself somebody who has a lot of emotional intelligence, but it's exhausting, you know, mm -hmm. trying to, to do all that. And I would imagine having somebody like you and your team be able to come in and offer both some ideas, some tips, some 
tools? Like what kind of tools do you use to help somebody like in my situation as an owner to address some of these things, you know, that we're dealing with? So one thing that's super easy to do and that we often start out with, um, and that people who are watching can do on their own is go back to your firm's mission statement. If you have one, um, do you have a value statement and work through that with your team? And again, you want to have everybody involved in this, right? Because it does not matter what your role is at the firm. Um, if you want to treat people as valued members of the team and you want them to feel that way, you got to just show it. So have everybody talk through the firm's mission statement and how what you all are doing right now relates back to that. Right. I think um, that can be incredibly powerful. And there's you know more complicated versions of that that we often do, but that's really um, one way that you can start. Another thing is, is we saw in the beginning of the pandemic, everybody wanted to be nice, right? So they said, gosh, you know, everybody's working so hard. Everybody's so tired. Everybody's working more. Let's get rid of that team meeting. It'll give everybody an hour back. Let's do check-ins every other week instead of once a week. And the problem is that when you now no longer see each other at the water cooler, you don't ride the elevator together, you don't walk to court together to then also, so you get rid of the informal interactions. Mm. Then you start getting rid of formal interactions because you're trying to be nice. And right. the problem is, is that, I mean, we have so many clients right now who are lawyers who want new jobs. And when we say, why do you want a new job? They say, because I stayed at this work because of the boss, or I stayed here because of the people I worked with. And now I don't see them. So I might as well take more money somewhere else. Right. So it's important that you bring back as much as you can that those interactions. And that's as easy as instead of logging on at 11 for the team meeting, come on at 10.52 right. and just be there to see what people want to talk about. Right. That's And you don't have to do this alone, right? It's the person who's running a law firm. You have enough pressure on yourself. One of the things that I used to do, I had a team of nine and I would assign one person each month, which remote, I would do more often, but in person, I would have one person each month come up with a Ted talk for the group to watch. And then we'd sit and talk about it for a few minutes. And, you know, there are six minute Ted talks. There's a great one on lollipops. That's six minutes, for example, and just have everybody chat about it. We do a lot when we're working with teams, we do a lot of, you know, what people might consider icebreakers, but are really about building relationships because you got to have relationships to have trust. Right. And if, if you find somebody on your team is rolling their eyes because you say, what did everybody do this weekend? Like, that's not great. Right. And you can be more intentional about it than that. I mean, there's a, a, a great exercise. Um, I, I really recommend the book, the five dysfunctions of a team to anybody who wants their team to be better. I love that book. <laughs> yep. I mean, so helpful. And there's lots and lots of resources you can do that take it much farther, but it's a great start and it's a quick read. Um, but you know, one of the things is just, what do you know about people you work with? Right have them share their backgrounds and how they got here. I, I did that once with uh, uh, the team that I ran at the university and we discovered that a bunch of us over half, I think had failed our driver's tests. <laughs> you're sitting there thinking, thank God we're registrars and in student affairs and not, you know, exactly. bus drivers, but you know, we'd grown up on three different continents. There was a, I think a 30 year age swing, 20 year age swing, at least Mul like did not have a ton in common. Let's put it that way. And yet, None of us were good drivers at the age of 16 or 18. So things like that can help. You know, they don't solve everything, but right. that's a great place to start. 
Oh, I think it's great advice. And I know for us, we've been trying really hard to do in-person things that are fun, but in person, I say, but on Zoom, you know, Mm -hmm. where it's like we do team yoga or, you know, we've had like those room escape parties or starting a book club. I mean, just other things that, you know, we can just kind of stay engaged with and, you know, be friendly with each other. And I find for me, and I'm curious to know what you think. I mean, because gosh knows I didn't check it out with any leadership professional and who am I to know? But like I, when I have gotten more and more from the daily management of my office, so thus I have less of that day-to-day interaction with my team. I've actually now made it a point to reach out to team members on a regular cadence so that I stay in touch with all of them. Because, you know, there might be somebody on my team that I wouldn't have really the like there wouldn't be any business for us to discuss necessarily on a regular basis, but I don't want that to become a thing where we don't have that interaction. So, I mean, I literally have a schedule and I reach out and I make sure I check in and, you know, there's things, sometimes somebody's expecting a grandbaby or, you know what I mean? They might be going to a big doctor appointment and, you know, so I'm going to check in on those times off my schedule, but I'm curious. I mean, does something like that make sense or is that too, like, I sometimes worry that I'm too, you know, like I calendar everything just to make sure I do it. And so I worry that because it's not spontaneous, that that means somehow it's less worthy. Does that make sense? No. And so it totally makes sense. But since we're, you know, on Facebook and not we're in the group and not, I'll say that I've, many siblings and I calendar it into my calendar who to text or check in on that weekend. Right. It's, right. it's actually showing a little bit more thought. And I think especially right now, you got to do what you got to do to stay on top of it. And, and the fact that you are doing it intentionally also means you're not going to be showing favoritism, right? You might talk to somebody a few more times a week, right? But then that way, nobody's going to feel left out. So I think it makes perfect sense. And that one-on-one connection, whether it's phone or Zoom or whatever, is so important so that people feel free to be honest with you, um, especially as we've seen in the pandemic, how conditions are very different for people who have small children. People are very different for people who have children. We've seen how hard this has been, particularly on women. and women of color and even beyond that. And so it is critical that people have that time with their boss where they can be honest and and share how things are really going and not feel like, you know, they have to make an appointment, right? That they have to be proactive. That way they know that you're um, wanting to check in. So I think it's great. The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and podcasts and video, we are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer and Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. When you mention values and mission, I mean, one of our very strong values is radical candor. I don't know if you've read that book. Oh, yes. Yes, we use that with teams a lot. Yeah. I am a firm believer in caring personally and challenging directly. Mm -hmm. And I just think it is so important, but I think I can't be in the right headspace for that 
if I'm not in regular cadence with my team so that that whole caring personally is just ingrained in what we do. Because then I think when it's time for me to challenge directly, it doesn't have to be contrived. Do you know what I right. mean? Yep. The caring personally has been put in place. It is there. It is part of the fabric of what we do. So then when I do challenge directly, it can be kind of like quick in, in and out. Do you know what I mean? Like I can yep. say what I need to say and, and just move through it. And I find that it's less hard from my perspective to be able to challenge directly when I am regularly and very intentionally caring personally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And for those people who might be watching or listening who have not read Radical Candor, highly recommend it. The, the, one of the ideas though, is that often um, there, there's this, this reluctance to be direct and it results in things like, you know, people who are afraid to tell their boss their fly is down because they think they're being nice and they don't want to embarrass the boss, let alone the fact that the boss is going to see however many people like this. And I do think that the more deposits you have in goodwill, whether that comes from you know doing Zoom yoga or that comes from you know a check in every Friday at nine, the more deposits you have in that goodwill, then the easier it is to be able to let people or challenge people directly and let people know when there's something that you'd like to see changed, and the easier it is for them to understand you care about them, and that's why you want things to be better for them in the future. Right. Exactly. And I, I think it's critical because so I, we worked with a team recently where um, two team members had had a conflict a number of years ago mm. and they all these years later were then having trouble communicating with each other now because right. they had no history. Right? They had this conflict years ago and basically cut off communication. Right. And it wasn't that it was you know, the right or wrong response, right? It's just kind of where they were. And um, when you don't have that base, it, it becomes, everything becomes harder. So when people say, I don't have time to do one-on-ones with my staff, I say, but you're going to spend the time down the road. It's just going to be in a big blow up, right? Mm-hmm. The, the one-on-ones you can schedule, the blow ups you can't schedule. Mm-hmm. So I think that your approach is absolutely right. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. I think that I like to, I also like to have that time where I think if people feel like, I'm accessible and they feel like they can challenge me directly because I think that is so much of how radical candor really can work well is not just me challenging directly, but me being very open to others challenging me and me being able to hear those and not be defensive, not take it personally. Do you know what I mean? Like not have all the garbage of emotions and just be able to hear what they're saying in a very constructive way, then I think it allows us, I thought of the thing you said about the skunk on the table, because often they're telling me about some problem, something in their work that is driving them crazy. And if I can hear that, I want to fix it. Or, you know, or at least I, if I don't want to fix it, I want to be able to explain to them why I'm not fixing it. You know, why we're doing it, whatever way we're doing it, that's driving them crazy. And maybe it means getting them out of doing it. Maybe it means some other team members should be involved in that and they shouldn't, you know, if it is driving them crazy. Mm -hmm. But if I can't hear those conversations, we're never going to be able to make the improvements we need. And One thing I read recently, I thought it was interesting because I really despise the word boss. Like Mm -hmm. I, I hate it. I don't want anyone to call me boss. Like I have somebody on my team and they joke with me and they'll be like, okay, boss. And I'm (laughs) like, oh my 
God. <laughs> I just—I mean, because my farm started so small, it was just like me. And I mean, they were almost like my children, practically, you know, they were that age, like my children's ages and they were younger and I don't know. And so when we've gotten bigger, I, I just have a hard time with this whole hierarchical thing. But the reality is, I mean, even though I don't think of myself like a boss, I've come to understand that I can't fix this. Like I, other people think of me as the boss, whether I like it or not. Right. For sure. Yeah. I think, and we often talk about how to give feedback and how to ask for feedback. And I think something that's so important to remember is when somebody's giving you feedback, that's not the first time they've thought of it. The only difference is now, you know, and now you can do something about it. And whether you want to admit you're the boss or not, the way you respond to that feedback can really set the tone for everybody else and model that kind of behavior. I mean, we've had really intense discussions with teams where things are coming out and you know, we've seen how, what a difference it makes when the GC or the managing partner or the team leader says, I appreciate you're bringing that to my attention. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden it's like, I didn't get yelled at. Right. Okay. Hmm. He actually does mean what he says, or she really does mean that she wants this. And, and to be clear, there are plenty of times where we work with teams where those sorts of big revelations don't come out. Right. And it's just a matter of like, how do we get even better? But a lot of times there's some stuff there that nobody's told you. Absolutely. And that, that muscle of being able to take the feedback, especially in front of other people who look up to you, it's a tough one to develop, but it can make such a difference. I think it's huge. And I mean, I know I, I mean, I have all kinds of room for improvement. I'm sure like, I feel like every day is, you know, an opportunity for growth, but I have a leadership there. It's just a group of like six people who can tell me, I mean, really, frankly, anything they think, and they feel, I think, super empowered, share whatever. And that is so empowering, I think, for our entire team, because then they're able to take that to their teams and explain to them that, you know, come to me with your issues and and we'll present them in the leadership team. And, you know, and so it's really been, I think, a very helpful evolution as we learn to work together better. I sure wish they taught us this in law school, though. I know it's it's interesting to me, though, there are some law schools that are much better than others at teaching these sort of practical skills. And um, I I think that's really incumbent on lawyers. It's funny to me because often lawyers will understand we need to, you know, keep up with uh, evolutions and rules of evidence, right? We all need to understand how to do, how it is different to do a hearing on Zoom. We understand that we need to do those sorts of things. But sometimes I think lawyers resist improving themselves and their professionalism skills because there's a sense, well, I got it this far. Right. And there's also a sense of if the firm's not going to pay for it, why would I invest in my own career? Um, And I think it's it really can hold lawyers back. Well, it's interesting you bring up that point in specific about people feeling like, you know, the firm isn't going to pay for it or it's not going to be counted towards my billable hours. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a thing as a firm owner, I really have tried to balance because I want everyone in my team. I mean, from the intake person to my number two in command person to be doing trainings and learning and improving and reading. I mean, I send out books to my team every other month. We get, everyone gets the same book, you know, so That's that great. ideally they would be reading and we would discuss it and kind of have a shared vocabulary around certain things. 
I don't know that everybody does. And they probably get annoyed that I send out my books, but whatever, <laughs> it's, you know, education is part of what's important to me. And so I try to share that, but I find it interesting when young attorneys are like, well, I don't really want to go to that, or I don't want to learn that. And I'm thinking, what? I'm like, oh my gosh, I just could not get enough education. I'm one of those people. I had a boss that told me one time, you do not see a CLE that you don't want to go to. And I'm like, no, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's odd when you think about, I think some people think, well, I spent all this money to go to law school. So now I know it all. And it's like, I mean, I learned a lot at law school. I learned a lot working at a law school. None of that helped me run a business now, like (laughs) zero of it. I mean, maybe being in a study group. Yeah. Right. But other than that, like not so much. Um, and it's the, the skills that you learn in law school prepare you to do some things, but it didn't prepare you to do all the things. No. And I just, I, um, one of the very first partners I worked for at Skadden is a woman named Tina Chen, who is fantastic. She was uh, Michelle Obama's chief of staff and now is the president and CEO of Time's Up. So she's a powerhouse, phenomenal person. And Tina would always say, no one will ever care more about your career than you do. Totally. And I, I, at first time she said that to me, I was like, but she's my mentor. Why? And then it took me some time to process it. Right. And it's absolutely true. No one is going to reach out to you on LinkedIn and say, do you want a case? Unless I know what you do. Cause you already told them. Right. right? No one's ever going to reach out and say, Hey, might you like this job? If you haven't you know, bothered to, to let them know who you are and set up your LinkedIn so that it comes up in the searches that they're doing. You have to take action for all of these things. Um, Nothing really falls into your lap unless you're prepared for it. And I think it can be frustrating to think I'm billing all these hours. I'm doing all this work. I'm trying to build a firm. I'm trying to build a practice and a life. And you want me to do more. But the reality is, is that the more that you're talking about, the educating yourself and all that, you know, if you spend the time to read a productivity book, you're probably going to save plenty of time to make up for it. It's your secret sauce. I think to success is the reading, the learning. And I think the emotional intelligence, because it is something I feel very strongly about, especially as a family law attorney. Mm -hmm. I think my emotional intelligence is so keyed into the success of my clients being able to move forward past their divorce for me to be able to help them understand how do they look at these things? How do they address when they're getting a nasty gram from their soon to be ex? How do they look at co-parenting? And so my ability to be emotionally intelligent impacts those children of that family, like every single time. And so but we didn't, I didn't learn emotional intelligence in school. Like this wasn't, there was no class that was offered to me on all these things. And so I feel like we've got to teach ourselves or, you know, take those things. And so I love that you and your husband and your work, I mean, you think about this and you assess for this and you discuss it because we all can learn. I think, I mean, Don't you think we can learn in areas of emotional intelligence that we don't have? Absolutely. I mean, the reason that we use the EQI 2.0 instead of Colby, which I love Colby. I think Colby's great in a lot of ways. um, Or Myers-Briggs, which can be helpful in a lot of ways. The reason we don't use one of those is because those assessments are really helpful to tell you who people are. Right. And, and what they're going to like, they like now, and they're going to like in 10 years. Right. So if you're, you're hiring an assistant and you, you might want somebody who's a Colby quick start, and that makes perfect sense. But if you're looking at people where they are now and where they can develop and where they can go in the future um, and how they can relate to each other, 
emotional intelligence is something that they can improve, right? And there are lots and lots of exercises you can do. And if people are interested in that, like they can reach out, I'll send them a list of books, right? It also, it really influences how the team is going to work together. But even if somebody from the team is going to leave, it is helpful for them to know, oh, wow, I am super high in reality testing, which means that I have never seen an option that I cannot shoot down, right? Um, It is good for them to know that if they're going to go work with people who are less high on reality testing. So that's why we really like the EQI 2.0 in particular as an assessment for emotional intelligence. But I think in general, understanding you know, where people are and then helping them improve if they want to and helping them stop over-relying, if that would be helpful to them um, on particular areas like you know the reality testing can be really impactful for the team and for them. And so if, you, if people are going to leave, you want them to say good things. Absolutely. And, you know, it's better for them to feel, oh gosh, they really invested in me and helped me learn more about myself. And it wasn't the right fit, but I'm better off now than I was before. It's, it's better for them to be saying, particularly now. Um, well, and that is something too, that I have really, I mean, I'm weird in. And when somebody leaves my firm, I want to be able to do everything I can to help them in their next position. I want to offer them resources. I want to say to them, I can't wait to have lunch with you in six months and hear how great you're doing. I want to like give them a wedding present because I know they're getting married in six weeks. Do you know what I mean? Like to be that where we are supporting each other and we're continually having those professional relationships where we're helping each other grow in our profession, because I think that is one area we lawyers don't do great at is truly developing those like mentor and even sponsorship type of relationships where we're really helping each other. I think of it as maximizing people's potential Mm -hmm. and really figuring out how can I help maximize this person who came across my path? And just because they're not working in my office anymore, that doesn't change my desire to want to help maximize them. And so that's something that's very important to me. And I don't think of the world as a pie. Like, you know, I think that there's other attorneys to come around, like it will all work out in the end. And I, and the communities are small, like who wants a bunch of just nonsense in your professional community. Yeah. Well, and even if, even if people are watching, thinking like, oh, that's great. Nice touchy feely. Yay. Stop and think about the fact that these people are all people who are working with you now are going to work somewhere else. Yeah. I have a client who was let go under ridiculous circumstances from her law firm and worked with me to find her next role and is now in-house at a very large company that we've all heard of. And on her first day at the very large company we've all heard of, received a ginormous gift basket from the same law firm that fired her. Right. Like you want to stop and think, gosh, you wouldn't have had to send a nice gift basket if perhaps you'd just been kind on the way out. Right. And so even if you're thinking like, I don't have time to keep mentoring people, like I'm busy with the people I have, just stop and think about what it means for your business. If people who do leave, whether they're attorneys or paralegals or anything else, at least aren't going to write mean things online and maybe even will be sending you work or helping you out in the future. Absolutely. Well, and I, yeah. And I just think the connections we make really matter. And to me, when you have authentic connection, again, it's that caring personally. I I don't just stop caring about somebody because now they're not logging in on my, you know, practice management every day. And now they're logging in on somebody else's like, do you know what I mean? I don't just go from, okay, I care about this person to now. No, I don't care about this person. 
And so I think that, yeah, that emotional intelligence piece, I think, just comes into this time and time again as a law firm owner. And it sends such a message too to the people who are still with you, right? If they know that when they leave, it's going to be a, oh, I can't believe that she left that like that and, da, 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 and just tearing her down there that they're going to assume that that's how you'll talk about them. Just as we assume when we interview people in a job interview and say, what made you decide to leave that place? However, the person answers that question is how they're going to talk about us in the future. The people who work for you now will assume that that's how you'll talk about them when they leave someday. Right. Yeah, that's true. It's very true. I always worry about that. It's funny you mentioned whenever my children talk about interviewing for a job, my actual children, I always remind them, I'm like, you know, you always need to be prepared to address the, why are you leaving? And you need to be able to frame it in such a way, you know, that it's positive and professional. And, you know, they're always like, I know mom, but Mm -hmm. I think that that really matters because I think if you're not thinking about that in your head regularly, Sometimes you can say something that, you know, might not be the best thing that you meant to say. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for people to kind of, again, flip that and think about, you know, how is this leave positive for me? How is me moving to another position a positive move? And what have I learned from the past position, you know, that I can bring forward? Because I just, I think it's much like parenting. I mean, I think of all the cycles, you know, we go through this cycle of, You have to take care of babies, change diapers, you know, do all these things. They're so dependent and you have that. And then you go through these other stages and they get more and more independent to where the whole purpose is for you to get yourself out of your job. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think in our professional lives, it's the same thing. I mean, we're learning and constantly trying to get better and we want to be growing and developing and I want people on my team who are growing and developing, you know, part of one of our values is dreaming big together. And, you know, I love to hear my team, like, what do you want to do in five years? What do you want to accomplish in 10 years? How can I help you reach that? Is it me paying for some course? Is it, you know, me getting you coaching so that you can become this and maybe you're not going to work for me anymore. And I've just paid to help you get to your next position, but okay. Yeah. You're going to have a raving fan if that's the case. And there's more people to come. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I like it when you said, um, you know, if it hasn't worked out, like it'll work out in the end. And I always think of the quote, if it hasn't worked out yet, it's not the end yet. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I I think that if anything, the last year has shown us that you can't really like a five-year plan is swell. Right. And like, I think that that's great to have that, but I often talk about how you need to have kind of a roadmap rather than a career plan. So you you should know the final destination of where you want your firm to be, but you should also appreciate there's going to be lots of turns and twists along the way. And the person who you thought was going to stay with you forever is going to leave. Right. And the person who you thought, Ugh, two weeks in, I'm not so sure, is going to end up being the superstar. And yeah. I mean, if we all wanted more certainty, none of us would work for ourselves or start our own firms or work for smaller firms, right? We would just, take the job with the guaranteed security and the guaranteed everything, but we're willing to take some risks and that's why we're here. Right. Exactly. Well, tell us how can we find you and reach out to you? And obviously we'll put some of this in the show notes, but if, if I want to work with you, how do we do that? Sure. So you can just email me at amy at apochromatic.com and I'm happy to do 
a complimentary 30 minute call with people. If, if you want to talk about your LinkedIn or job interviews, or you want to talk about your team and somebody just did this and now I don't know what to do. I'm always happy to do those sorts of calls and reach out to me on LinkedIn too. We do do um, for people on our email list. We have a lot like this week, we have a free happy hour on Friday. We have free virtual co-working days. There's one this Thursday where you log on to zoom and you work for th- three and a half hours straight and you have breaks, yeah. <laughs> um, but it gives you this accountability. We have lots of free things that we offer to people on our email list. When the pandemic first started, everyone on our email list was offered a free 30 minute call, which was a lot of calls. Um, But so if you're interested in joining our email list, um, shoot me an email and I can add you too. So reach out. I I get so much out of the maximum lawyer community. Um, I'm so happy to give back whatever I can. Oh, it's an amazing community and so supportive. I love that. Well, and I've wondered, do you do webinars to groups? Oh, yes. Yeah, thank you. We do. Yes. So many webinars. We often talk about, you know, building your career during COVID. How can you market yourself? Um, Executive presence, which is so important now that we're all on video all day, right? Um, Lots lots of different topics like that, giving feedback. Um, So if you are on the board of a bar association or whatever, have to plan a program and you're thinking... Great. Um, Let me know. I'm sure that we have one that we could uh, offer you. Absolutely. That is awesome. Well, I really appreciate it. And I actually look forward and I'm going to reach out to you because good, 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 good. Awesome. I mean, I'm always trying to get better and I would, I've never taken that test, the assessment you all use. I've never, so it'll be good for me to learn where my areas of opportunity are roaring. There you go. Well, thank you so much, Amy. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye, Amy. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.